Love Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, December 5th, 2017, and I'm your host, Arielle Taylor, with my co-host for the evening, Anastasia. Lavendar is celebrating her birthday tonight, but she'll be back next week. We have two upcoming Starseed Quests to Arkansas in March and May of 2018. If you have at least one galactic marking on your natal chart, which is 25, 26, or 27 degrees of any sign, you are eligible to participate in this Starseed Soul Group reunion in the crystal capital of the world. The Spring Equinox Athena's Birthday Gathering is March 16 through 19, and then in May for Pleiadian Lineup, it's 18 through the 21st. And just a reminder that Mercury is retrograde now until December 22nd. Tonight we're presenting a chapter from Lavendar's Vault called Catalina and Natalie Wood. Since last week was the anniversary of Natalie's untimely death, on November 29, 1981. This was a pivotal point in Lavendar's mission with the Pleiadians since she was to have been Natalie's galactic mentor in the spiritual awakening of the people. With Natalie gone, her assignment was then changed to mentoring Shirley MacLaine, who did step out into the public eye with the spiritual galactic information. This is the story from Lavendar about those early days, and this story has affected millions on the planet, although indirectly, as her information always came through other high-profile people. If you want to hear more from Lavendar's Vault, check out our archives from the first two years of the show, which is 2010 and 2011. At the top of the show, it's Anastasia's Starseed News, bringing topics of interest to starseeds that you won't hear in the mainstream. And check out our online Starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com. And it's a safe place to connect with other Starseeds, thanks to Tammy's dedication and help with our forum. You can download our shows on iTunes or right here on Blog Talk. And if you'd like to show your support of our program, please click follow on our page here at Blog Talk, and you'll get our weekly show notice. The toll-free number for StarseedHotline.com is 888-881-0881. The Stage 1 Starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings in your natal astrological chart, and the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself. For those who need healing of any kind, emotional, physical, or spiritual, whether for yourself or your pets, Tammy's powerful remote sessions will make a difference for you. And if you have a birthday coming up, you don't want to miss out on your 10 hours of power, you can find out when that happens by requesting your solar return timing. And please remember that if you want um, uh, an interpretation of that chart, you need to order at least three months ahead of time because we do have a waiting list. So, uh, first this evening, I will introduce Anastasia with her wonderful Starseed News. <laughs> Good evening, hello, Anastasia. Great. Hello there, and happy birthday to our dear, dear Lavendar. Bless her heart. Great to be with you this evening. We've got some news. I'll get right to it. Well, we have a geomagnetic storm update going on right now. A minor G1-class geomagnetic storms are underway today and tomorrow as a fast-moving stream of solar wind blows around our planet. So far, predictions of stronger G2-class storms have not been fulfilled. Aurora sightings tonight will probably be restricted to regions around the Arctic Circle. Most of us listening to this program are not likely to see those. In California, they have some more wildfires, really unfortunate. Raging wildfire threatens hundreds of homes in Ventura County. 1,000 households have been told to evacuate. 
Residents there have been forced to leave their homes, and one motorist was killed, desperately trying to flee the rapidly growing fire. These things are terrifying when they happen, absolutely terrifying. This is a 10,000-acre wildfire. Wildfire. They're calling it the Thomas Fire. It burned dry brush after erupting earlier in the evening in Ventura County, 70 miles northwest of Los Angeles. More than 150,000 homes were without power today, and at least two structures have been destroyed. Well, you know what? Autumn is over. Indian summer is gone. It is December 5th, and now another Arctic blast is coming to the U.S. this week. It's going to stay around for a while. They're telling us that the mild weather that we've had the last few weeks will soon be a distant memory as the coldest air of the season invades most of the central and eastern United States. Frigid temperatures but little snow will hit from the Midwest to the southeast. Even parts of Florida, they're telling us, will see nighttime temperatures dip into the 30s. And unlike previous cold snaps this fall, this one looks to stay around for a while, potentially until the first day of winter on December 21st. Well, that doesn't give me much consolation because (laughs) the first day of winter simply means more cold air. So here we are, folks. It is now time uh, to bundle up. It's cold season. Can't wait for the robins to return. Keeps me going. (laughs) (laughs) And also a related story is that they're predicting a major storm system that's going to bring heavy snow and thunderstorms to the to to the eastern U.S. They're saying that winter-like conditions are expected to wallop eastern half of our country from Denver to New York. And I don't know why they're putting Denver (laughs) in here because that's definitely not the eastern part of the U.S., but they say that there's going to be that part of that significant change in the weather. They say that uh, the middle of the country will get some heavy snow, strong winds, and thunderstorms. They said more than a dozen states have issued winter weather warnings or watches right now. So my cure for that, guys, is I have some chili on the stove. <laughs> uh, does that inspire you to make some soup? I hope so. Yeah. Well, um, this is a wild story. I, 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 here it is. Seismologists report that a volcano is building up under New England. What? Well, you know, any any of you out there frustrated that your favorite sports teams seems always to lose to maybe, I don't know, the New England Patriots or the Boston Celtics or maybe the Boston Red Sox. Isn't that the way it goes? No, those guys always win. Well, they're telling us that help may be on the way if we can just wait a few years. <laughs> How would help come on the way? It precisely because seismologists are reporting that a volcano is building up under the northeastern United States. This includes Maine, Vermont, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and Connecticut. A geophysicist and professor of Rutgers University has led this research, which was published this week in the journal Geology. He says, and I'm quoting, the upwelling we detect is like a hot air balloon, and we infer that something is rising up through the deeper part of our planet under New England. Now, he and his team used data collected by the EarthScope program of the National Science Foundation, which has deployed thousands of seismic GPS and other geophysical instruments all across North America to monitor the forces behind volcanoes and earthquakes. Now, that data shows that the area, particularly under central Vermont and western New Hampshire, has a volcanic force to be reckoned with. The researcher says it's not Yellowstone-like in size, but for sure something is happening underground. That's Hmm. pretty creepy, but there it is. Our planet is so full of mysteries. You know, it's just good to be reminded once in a while that the planet is a magical being and we don't know everything and it will move on whether we can move with it or not. In uh, southern Peru, they have discovered, uh, archaeologists have discovered a giant geoglyph of a killer whale. It's etched into a desert hillside in the remote Palpa region of southern Peru. Now they say that this had been lost to science for 50 years. I don't know what they mean by that. But the article goes on to say that this 230-foot-long figure of an orca whale, which, by the way, was considered to be a powerful mythical creature in ancient Peruvian lore, 
uh, this figure may be more than 2,000 years old. And they said it may be one of the oldest geoglyphs in this region, older than those in the nearby Nazca region, which, as you all know, Nazca is famous for its large assortment or collection of ancient ground markings, the Nazca lines, and these also include animal figure straight lines and geometric shapes. So there you have it. Big, 230-foot-long figure of an orca. Now, what's that really all about? Fascinating. Fascinating. And here's a story for you. This is wild. How many of you ladies out there think that an Egyptian pharaoh pharaoh would be maybe dark-skinned with dark hair? Huh? Well, I think Probably most you of know, us watch all the old movies. All the pharaohs are, you know, dark-skinned, dark hair. Well, here's a story that blows my mind. Half of all Swiss men share a gene with Egyptian pharaoh Tutankhamun. Every second Swiss male is related to the Egyptian pharaoh Tutankhamun, according to researchers in Zurich. Now, scientists who've been working on mapping the genetic profile of Tutankhamun, who ruled Egypt around 3,000 years ago, were able to construct or reconstruct his wide DNA profile, and they found that he belonged to the haplogroup R1B1A2. And they say that that is strongly represented in Switzerland and in other parts of Western Europe. Around 50% of Swiss men also belong to this group and therefore have a common ancestor with this pharaoh. Now, this ancestor lived around 9,500 years ago in the Black Sea region. They say it's impossible to tell from outward appearance if one shares Tutankhamun's gene. However, the curious can get a special DNA test to see if they are indeed related to the Egyptian pharaoh. And um, researchers say that while it may be impressive to share a gene with the ancient Egyptian ruler, they say it offers no particular genetic advantage. Is that wild? Hmm. Would you have ever thought, (laughs) Ariel, that... Huh? I said, who would think? Uh, I I know that there's ET involvement in there somewhere. Well, uh, yeah. And speaking of that, we've got some (laughs) related news for tonight. Turkish University is offering ufology classes as a prep for extraterrestrial contact. That's right, in Turkey. Wow. A research center at a university in the Mediterranean province of Antalya has included in their curriculum ufology and exopolitics in a bid to prepare for possible contact with visitors from outer space. Now, the tutor of the class and deputy chair of the Sirius UFO Space Sciences Research Center has said that humankind could make contact with extraterrestrial beings within 10 or 15 years. He says, I quote, we believe representatives from uh, from the world and extraterrestrial civilizations will soon be making official contact with each other. We think they will be in an open and mass contact, he said, he said, and he added that the lesson was part of the preparations for the biggest change seen in the history of the world. He's trying to prepare people. The professor goes on to say that a shady group, a shady group named MJ12 has been suppressing the spread of knowledge on extraterrestrial beings in order to protect the national interests of the United States. Fiber optic cables, microchips, night vision technology, and bulletproof garments have been produced, he says, due to the information gathered from the analyses of crashed UFOs. Now, exopolitics, which is the new curriculum at this university, will address and focus on sources of information and methodology, the history of the cover-up of knowledge on extraterrestrial beings, and prepared for open contact and galactic diplomacy. In Turkey, you guys. Wow. Well, and this article is out of the Washington Post, and I'm going to exclaim, the Washington Post, you guys. And the article reads, just, will ha- just how will humanity react to evidence of alien life? Scientists try to predict the answers. Now, recently, just as soon as early as last week, I brought to you the story about the germs that were stuck to the outside of the International Space Station, and the cosmonaut said in an interview that they were not from here. Remember that? 
Yes, I do. Well, experts are now saying that these uh, microbes probably hitchhiked the 250 miles from the Earth's surface and then arrived back home again with the cosmonauts. That's what they're saying. Of course, it hasn't been analyzed yet. But imagine if scientists do find alien microbes. They're all wondering how humanity would react to the news. Well, a psychologist at Arizona State University and a member of its new interplanetary initiative is trying to anticipate this response. So he teamed up with planetary scientists and conducted three experiments. The psychologist and his co-authors make a critical distinction between reactions to the discovery of extraterrestrial intelligence and finding evidence for microbial life beyond Earth. They think that people will respond differently. So in the first experiment in the study, they analyzed how the media covers extraterrestrial discoveries. They looked at five events. Uh, the discovery of pulsars in 1967, which were not immediately recognized as natural. They looked at the detection of the WOW radio signal that was discovered in 1977. They looked at the 1996 announcement of fossilized microbes in a Martian meteorite. And the strange behavior of Tabby Star reported a couple of years ago. And lastly, they looked at 2017's discoveries of exoplanets that exist within the Goldilocks habitable zones. So these psychologists fed 15 articles by the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Post, and others uh, through a program that analyzes written content for negative or positive words. Now, journalists describe these events using words with positive effect significantly more frequently. They're, they're analyzing how people write up these stories. And in that analysis, they said that journalists use more positive words. And they said that the public reaction seemed to be much more positive than negative, the researchers said. So what they're saying is if it's presented positively, people appear to react positively. Now, in a follow-up poll, the researchers presented more than 250 people with a 1996 New York Times article, which was, importantly, stripped of its date. It took the date off the article. And this article reported evidence of fossilized nanobacteria in a Martian meteorite. Well, over years of scrutiny, the claim of fossils in the Mars meteorite has been dismissed. And the consensus now is that the suggested signs of life were simply natural mineral deposits. But they didn't tell the participants in this study. They didn't tell them this. So as the participants read about the evidence of fossilized nanobacteria on this Martian meteorite, they had positive reactions. They had no negative response. So given these results, a researcher said that he would be pretty confident that if NASA announced the discovery of alien microbes tomorrow, alien, uh, Americans would be fine with it. He says that, and I quote, results of this new study mirror a survey conducted by a certain theologian who explored the impact of discovering extraterrestrial life on a person's religious beliefs. Now, most people responded that their own religious beliefs could withstand the announcement, but that they thought other believers would have a struggle. And this theologian said, it looks like we don't need to be worried about others not being able to handle an announcement of extraterrestrial life. The theologian said, people will do just fine. Well, scientists are that have undertaken this study are cautioning us that these results do not reflect how the rest of the world might respond. They say that past research on extraterrestrial civilizations suggest that Americans tended to view aliens in a more black and white way than the residents of China. Chinese participants were able to imagine that contact could lead to both risks and benefits, whereas Americans either thought the discovery would be all good or all bad, but not both. Now, researchers went on to say that while it's no doubt true that there are more planets in the galaxy with microbial life than with intelligent life, as far as they know anyway, they say that that doesn't mean we'll detect bacteria beyond Earth before 
we pick up that all-important radio signal. They're predicting that as long as the money or the funding doesn't dry up, uh, um, uh, surveyors are going to listen to millions of stars in the next decade looking for what they call noisy extraterrestrials. Well, you know, the way the article sort of veered off at the end, I sort of had to laugh. I think that sometimes we Americans are so arrogant in many ways. It seems to me, and I'm not a scientist, but I would imagine that other cultures may be far more prone to accept uh, the presence of alien life than Americans, um, being so much more open-minded about so many more things um, in many ways than Americans. But that's they really are investigating this now, trying to gauge... Uh, how people are going to respond. And a lot of researchers are doing this. So, And this was published in the Washington Post. So, you know, easing into the mainstream thought, here we go. There it is. They're poking around to see what we're going to do. That's it. That's it for tonight's news. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you, Ariel, yeah, you for know, the opportunity. Um, I, I, wanted, mm. I wanted to say, Anastasia, I was waiting to see if you were done. Um, Richard Dolan has a book called After Disclosure, and it's oh, a yes. very, very well-considered um, scenarios on how people would react and things you know, that you would never think of that's like, oh, yeah, that would happen. It's a really great book uh, for people, so I just it, it came to mind to mention that again he's been on our show a few times as well but it's called a period d period ad for after disclosure oh how clever how clever it's disappointing that the post did not they should have given that reference in the article really um but there it is and i'm glad that you're suggesting this there are going to be people listening to this program that will go oh you know i need to get that book so that's great and and it really does need to be studied much deeper, as uh, Mr. Dolan did it, instead of just this. The article itself was pretty superficial. Uh, the very well, yeah, just the, I mean the microbes, is, huh? yeah, yes. microbes yes. and fossils. That's like a theory, a theory, a theoretical um, yes. basis yes. where oh, there used to be life, or there used to be, but when you have a living, breathing. Um, being it's like yeah. hello i'm from the next planet yeah. <laughs> yeah that's what after disclosure is about because that's really i mean people it's like well how you know how can an alien microbe you know thousands of miles away affect my life well, right exactly probably it, it won't threaten religion too much unless you're the most right, extreme right, fundamentalist right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. but you're right but, uh, a talking conscious yeah i yeah, think well, it's, many people will freak out so and when it happened i mean not I mean, in our group happened, of course but What's that? Um, it it happened in 1957 when yeah. Yeah. an extraterrestrial, you know, um, actually landed um, in Virginia and was taken to um, the the Pentagon and the White House. Yeah. Uh, Valiant yeah. Thor, and uh, yeah. that's the basis for um, you know Doctor Frank Strange's book, Stranger at the Pentagon, and you know, in 57 it was just way too soon, you know, and the and. <laughs> He he was turned away. It's like, oh no, thank you. But here's you know, here's the cure for all illness and poverty. And he, he was turned away, saying, uh, no thanks. That would really you know, upset our our economic balance if everyone was healthy and happy. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, but like, they would probably 57. still fight for that. I mean, you know, not to upset the economic balance because who wants health and happiness? It's not profitable. But we are considerably more sophisticated than than in the 1950s. You know, people were quite right. naive then, and and with the advance of technology, it's really morphing our attitudes and shifting the whole psyche of of human beings. So, uh, yeah, and that's really the way to have difference. to do it. Yeah, yeah that's the way that's it has right. to be done. You know, as an evolution rather than a, a you know a cataclysm. Um, right. Uh, that's well, yeah, yeah, little by little. Yeah. Well said. Yes. All right. Well, that was fun. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we ought to talk about that more. There's going to be more in the future. There'll be more coming up. But those those two pieces were in the news this week, and I was I was happy to bring them to you. So, well, you know, we're living well, in such amazing times, and you're welcome. 
And from my heart to each one of you, all of you have a beautiful week. Much love to you. Thanks again. Well, thank you so much, and um, happy birthday to you, too. (laughs) In in four days, happy birthday to Anastasia. Our, our two Sagittarians so here on Star City yes. Radio. Yes, we are both. So yes. um, Thank you, you so have a much. great week, Anastasia. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. okay. <laughs> Bye-bye. So um, now, as I mentioned, uh, it is Lavendar's birthday tonight, and uh, she's taking the night off. So um, with the um, anniversary of the passing of Natalie Wood, uh, as I mentioned in the intro, this uh, had a great bearing on Lavendar's mission, and this recording is the story of what happened back then. So, at this time, I will start the recording. They're looking for it. Okay, this is Catalina and Natalie Wood, as told by Lavendar. December 29, 1984, at 5.05 p.m., Gloria. New Mexico. Shirley McLean. Now where do I begin? Our meeting, I guess, was destined to be. I had known that my path would not only cross Shirley's, but that somehow we would have many experiences together. For years, I'd been flashing about her, but nothing of any real significance. I'd smile with my brain when I'd read about her in the tabloids, but that was about it. My real knowing about Shirley started in Las Vegas, Nevada, somewhere between 1977 and 78. I'd pick up an article about her, and as I read it, I knew that we would come together with a meeting of the minds. Little did I know at the time that in the near future, it would be related to something that I would call War of the Minds. At that point of my life, I was living and working in Las Vegas. What a town. Whatever you wanted or even think that you wanted, you could have in ten minutes. The town truly never shuts down. After spending five years there, I learned that the highest of souls and the lowest of souls were gathered there. Huge E.T. experiment. It seemed to be a place where great transmutations would happen, that accelerated evolution would take place in Las Vegas. As I already mentioned, in the summer of 75, I was one of seven people who had an extraterrestrial experience out at Lake Mead. We watched aliens walk on the water. None of us were ever the same after that event. Our lives really changed drastically. I'd already had several ET contacts, but I can look back and see that this particular encounter seemed to set my feet on a path of great evolutionary experiences. As I've mentioned earlier, I was conducting counseling work by using astrological charts. I utilized my psychic abilities more than the science of astrology, which always kind of made other astrologers about half nuts. At that time, I knew about my double pineal, but on the other hand, I really didn't know or would comprehend to know for many years later what that really meant about how the ETs would come and go from my double pineal. The Lake Mead experience accelerated my abilities. It seemed that my sight, hearing, and all of my other senses were just amped up about a thousandfold. People started coming to counseling at an an accelerated rate. I didn't know it then, but I had an ET that came and worked with me every single day. Their work was handled on the QT because it wasn't time for them to make their everyday physical appearance in my life. I suppose that I was just too green or too emotionally crippled from all of my romantic adventures to handle extraterrestrials on an everyday basis. I suppose that I had to hang on to suffering a little while longer before they made their entrance to me. There is one real valuable lesson that I learned from my space brothers and sisters, and that is, they know what is happening to us, and they are matching it with cosmic timing the whole time that we're doing our little earth dance. You know, people would come to me by word of mouth, and I was always booked. For three years, I had no set fee, only donations, 
But after I started working with more cosmic laws, I discovered that the flow of exchange is necessary to do the best job and also be free of karmic ties. I lived with the flow of abundance, but nothing that you would call extravagant. When I wanted to be extravagant, I would just visit some movie star friend or people with a lot of Leo planets. Money for the sake of money has never really meant much to me. I suppose that is why I have so little respect for it. I observed in my counseling sessions what part money played in people's lives, and I finally figured out that people played the money game because at the end of their life, they could count all their toys, and whoever had the most toys upon death won the game. I suppose that reasoning warped my sense of values and led me to believe that money can truly burn a hole in your pocket. And besides, whoever saw a hearse with a luggage rack on top? Okay, so, yet when I left my practice in Vegas, I left with a man who was financially secure from his father's oil trust fund. And by this time, I was physically ill, mentally exhausted, and spiritually drained. I had locked into heavy judgment, could see people's potential, tried to help them, only see some of them crash and burn. Truly burn. Judgment is really, I think, what made me sick. I can see that now. I had gained an enormous amount of weight, had polyps in my colon, and I couldn't go to the bathroom without an enema. So, for yeah, for three years. So, when Thurman came into my life, I was, I was ready to leave that life and pick up a new one. I had a celestial visitation from a female energy that asked me if I would help on an assignment of transmitting a person to a higher level of being. And I said yes before I really had time to evaluate what would I, what would I have to do in such a, an assignment. The first three years were very difficult and trying to my soul. Thurman knew how to drink and act ugly and play with people's minds and emotions. He knew nothing of metaphysics or cosmic laws. This was not an easy assignment, especially with a mouth like mine, which was, you know, my mouth gets like a torn pocket. I would go to my ET female friend and beg to be relieved of this assignment, and she'd be sitting in my other pineal talking to me as one would speak on the telephone, and I would yell, I quit, and she'd say, not now. She actually would sit on my head and would literally paralyze my tongue when she knew that I had taken all the abuse I could stand. If she hadn't been there 24 hours a day, I would have left in the first month of torture. She kept telling me that Thurman was a very high being who had lost his way through many incarnations in flesh. She wanted me to bring him to his awareness so that he would remember who he was and why he was here. If I could turn his life around and put his feet firmly on the path, then I too would benefit through exalted, multi-level experiences. She reminded me of my past history of giving up on projects just because I got bored or just couldn't see things to completion. She told me that if I could stay to the end of this project, the reason that I am mentioning about all this, about Thurman, is because it's important to understand our relationship and our work and our pledge to the welfare of the planet. There have been many people come and go out of our lives in these last six years who have tried to get us apart for one reason or another, but they never seem to grasp or understand galactic packs that are made with millions of souls hanging in the balance. Cosmic agreements are very serious for they affect not only a root race that is vanishing, but a new root race that is now being prepared to come to Earth for the new age of reason. This all relates to other regions of space that are of a higher cosmic order. So needless to say that family, friends, etc. could have so little an influence upon such a cosmic project. Now as to the meeting of Shirley MacLaine. I must start with the months previous to our official meeting because it shows the integral workings of invisible forces that are at work that are trying to bring us together, while another force is trying to keep us apart. On November 1st, 1981, I was informed by galactic sources that a great wave of feminine energy was being brought to the planet. 
This energy would hit the cells residing in female bodies and strengthen it, thus causing from some women to go overboard and lose their balance. Others would take the same energy and move through it and make it part of their lives forever. Not all women reacted the same to this energy. I remember feeling extremely charged and how difficult it was to close my eyes to even sleep that whole month of November. I can recall pulling my energies back from Thurman and from most male energies at the time. There was a few days that I'd awake thinking that men in general were the enemy. What was really happening was an alignment of energies in my own physical body that was to bring my male and female energies to some sort of balance. I think that this energy gets periodically active at different times of the year and cause some women to go just right off. With menopause, the pill, hormone imbalances, pollution, and sonic disturbance, who can really pinpoint these times unless one is in total balance and can home right in on these restructuring days for women? No medical person would ever step forward and agree with me as to what is happening to the women of the world. They'd be laughed at, right? I was told that I was to send quartz crystals to Cairo, Egypt, and they would go inside the pyramid to be charged with energies that would match this feminine energy shot that was being beamed to the planet. I was unable to go, but I sent Elizabeth Ellis, a beautiful star maiden, to be responsible for the crystals. From the moment I took the assignment about those crystals until the assignment was over, I was under heavy bombardment from dark forces not wanting these crystals to be charged with this feminine energy. One hassle after another occurred from November 1 to November 9, the day the crystals got on their way to Cairo. After I delivered the crystals to Elizabeth at the airport, I flew to Catalina Island where we had rented a house for three months. I remembered crying most of the way. I was tired. I was suffering from psychic attack, frequency discernment, and physically and mentally exhausted. I, I was a wreck for three days, but after a brief rest, I continued my work doing transmissions from the spacecraft called the Star of Bethlehem, or some refer to it as TX-11. This is the same ship that helped during the time of the Essenes in Israel and was visible the night that Jesus was born of earthly flesh upon the planet. This same entity comes and goes now off the ship, but he goes now by another name, and some people know him as Sananda, and others give him other names for different times. And TX-11 is the new term given for the new age of reason. I wrote transmissions during the day, and at night I'd go to Cairo, Egypt, to check on the crystals that I had sent with Elizabeth and it was during that period of time that I was trained by crystal masters as to what should be done with crystal power on the planet. You know, you just have to remember what happened with Atlantis to get a grip on what that responsibility level must have looked like. It's a great responsibility rests with anyone in charge of or in custody of certain kinds of crystals. Because of past misuse of them, entire civilizations have disappeared. I realized the seriousness of this crystal work and kept myself in balance for this special time in Cairo. So every night at 10 p.m., a spacecraft would bring me up, take me to crystal school in Egypt. Now, it was during this period of time that I started flashing and thinking about Shirley MacLaine. Her face would come and go in my mind and I'd read something about her in the trade papers or see an old movie of hers on TV. I was stimulated to walk down the, to the corner payphone and call an old girlfriend of mine, Jeanette Browning. I hadn't even spoken to her in three years, yet I remembered that she'd been among the ones who sat around the round table in my kitchen while E.T.'s had been coming and going throughout the house, so I wondered who she really was. Anyway, I called and invited her over to see me at Catalina. She told me that she was working for Shirley MacLaine as her secretary. Actually, Jeanette was Shirley's assistant while Shirley only played in Vegas. She never really went anywhere else with her. 
I first met Jeanette when she was dating and working for Robert Goulet. She had been in love with him, and she had loved to be around movie stars. She didn't want to be a star. She just wanted to walk in their shadows, so to speak. After I hung up the phone, a series of things started to happen. I felt this buzzing in my head. Time was distorted, and I was so hungry I could eat in two tomorrow. I realized that the activation of the feminine energy was being activated within me, and that Shirley's energy some way, somehow, extended to me at Catalina, but I couldn't figure it out. I just shrugged it off as something weird and returned home to continue the transmissions. I had asked Jeanette to come over in about a week, as then I'd be through with my nightly visits to Cairo. But you know what? The very next day, Jeanette showed up unexpectedly with a very handsome man who later I first named the first lieutenant of the Prince of Darkness. When he walked through the door, my hair stood on end. He was gracious, friendly, but I could detect a frequency operating that really spelled out who he was. I couldn't tell Jeanette as she was so naive in such matters. You know, she had the discernment of a worker ant, so I had to keep to myself what I was picking up on her friend. They invited me to dinner that night, and it was at dinner that I started really being tested. But whose horses? Well, just figure it out. It was not important to mention all the tests. The important thing is that I passed it. Because at 9.30, I promptly stood up, excused myself, and said that I had an important meeting that I had to attend. One of them wouldn't let me alone and kept insisting I stay and return with him to his boat. I kept walking and told him that I had an important meeting in Cairo. He said, Egypt? I said, yes. He called me crazy or some insane term and let me be. What this yo-yo didn't understand was that I really would be in Cairo, Egypt by 10.05 and wouldn't return until 7 a.m. the next morning. I felt that all that had happened had been designed for me to see where my weaknesses and strengths were at that time. The thing that now stands out in my mind is that the date of this was Pleiadian lineup, November 17th, 18th, and 19th, the galactic days of activation that I have come to know so well. So no wonder I was being tested by the first lieutenant of the Prince of Darkness. By the next morning, I knew that I had passed the test. Yet, I knew that there would be other tests to see if I would remain true to the quest. A week later, around Thanksgiving, Thurman came to Los Angeles, and we got a room at the Hacienda Hotel, and it was close to the Los Angeles airport, and Elizabeth would be arriving back with the crystals at 2.30 a.m., the day before Thanksgiving, 1981. We picked her up, got the crystals, went back to the hotel. I wanted to, to just stay up and, watch, and catch the helicopter back to Catalina so that we could have Thanksgiving at our house there. Besides, on Channel 5, they were having a Twilight Zone day from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. reruns of Rod Serling's stories. I really wanted to see that. Thurman said that he felt that we should stay at the hotel and not take the helicopter that morning. I grumbled, but agreed. At 8.30 a.m. that very morning, that helicopter crashed on its way to Catalina, dumping its passengers in the ocean. No one was killed. So, Thurman was right about that one. When I look back at when things started going wacky, it was when Elizabeth brought the crystals back to me from Cairo. It seemed that there were forces that followed those crystals, or forces just hovering and monitoring what was going to happen with the crystals. All I know was that some kind of war had been declared on me personally, and it was because of my agreement to take responsibility for the crystals and their subsequent energies. When we returned to Catalina, I felt a feeling of doom approaching. I couldn't put my finger on it, but I felt like crying five or six times a day. This went on for three days. On November 29th, my galactic female friend who'd been living in my other pineal decided to bid me farewell. She had been my constant companion for three years. What was I ever going to do without her? She explained to me that she had to leave my energy field and that I needed a long rest. 
She had done what she could with Thurman through me, but she also knew that if she stayed, my nerves would burn out and I could possibly die. This news shook me to my foundation. What was I ever going to do without her? She'd become a great part of me. Her records were now part of my records and vice versa. We'd made such a good team that the thought of such a drastic separation was devastating to say the least. So, on November 29th, she explained that she'd be leaving in a couple of days. After the heavy transmission, she suggested that we take a walk to town. About 4 p.m., we walked down to get a newspaper. Everyone was talking about the death of Natalie Wood, the actress. I was stunned, numb. I couldn't believe my ears. My solar plexus started jumping. Tears came to my eyes. The news of her drowning was so shocking that I couldn't get my bearings. We walked back to the house, and I started washing dishes. I had to do something. I was crying and washing, crying and washing. I knew that something had gone wrong, for she was slated to be one of the beings with walk-in energies to come forth and help the planet by stepping forward and helping the people. I'd been told in one of the transmissions that I was supposed to meet her, and that we had a lot of work to do together. I was from the same genetic cloning operation, and she was a part of me. I was devastated. What had gone wrong? I looked out my window and asked, Is it time for me to leave the island? At that moment, a big, I mean big iced tea glass flew off the draining board, landed on the floor without breaking. In fact, it jumped off and just before it got to the floor, it slowed down so it wouldn't break. I knew this was a signal to get the hell out of Dodge. Remember Dodge City and the train? Well, this was that moment. So the next morning we started making plans to shut up the house. I had started having pains in my bladder. My nerves seemed shot, and in two hours I was bleeding. I felt the sharp pain of a kidney stone, and I knew that feeling from three years before. I just now remembered that my galactic female friend arrived one month after my kidney stone operation in Florida. And now that she had left, I was experiencing another kidney stone. I wonder what this connection was. I had one more brief transmission about Natalie, explaining that she had lost her balance of reasoning and was an easy target for the dark forces that were monitoring her. I suffered emotional pain right along with her friends and family. My suffering was from another point of view. I knew who she really was, her potential, and what her assignment would be in helping to awaken the people. She would have gone down in Earth history as a woman who helped transmute millions out of spiritual darkness. She was a star maiden of galactic origin. She was a star from whence she came. And now she'd only be a memory of a famous movie star of Earth. What a loss. I suppose that this was my first real jolt about discernment. I knew that she had lost hers completely. A few years later I discovered that there are certain types of people who have a genetic code of activation and that they have similar characteristics like Natalie Wood, Elizabeth Taylor, Joan Collins, Suzanne Plachette, Elizabeth Ashley, etc. all have this same characteristic and some have corresponding missions. And because of my coding, I did belong to this group. There are others connected to this mission who are not famous, but that doesn't lessen their importance on the planet. I realized that I had to get off of Catalina Island and fast. I felt energies that were disruptive and alarming and that were entering my house. This was nuts. So, there was only one seat on the, on the seaplane, so Thurman decided to take the boat. Every time I took a step, I was in pain. I waved to him as he went off on the boat. I called Gina Bellado, another star maiden trying to be an actress, movie star, to come pick me up, but she had an important meeting with an agent who hopefully would make her famous. I couldn't believe where her priorities were at that moment. Didn't she understand that I was bleeding and that I could be dying? She did, though, find someone else to pick me up. The whole episode was shocking. I was watching Thurman on the boat, 
but something made me turn around and see my luggage on top of a shuttle bus, and I yelled, Where are you taking my luggage? And it seemed that the seaplane had been canceled at the last moment, and everyone had boarded the bus to ride 20 miles up to the landing strip. I climbed aboard, took my seat, and decided that I'd use my mind to stop the kidney stone from moving. I succeeded and turned around and looked out the window. I saw the face of another star maiden friend of mine, Chris Griscom. I remembered her telling me how she had given birth to her baby, alone, but with no help. And at that moment I understood her dilemma of pain and being alone. I knew that if she could do it, that I could do it. And sure enough, I stopped that stone right in its track, and also the pain. It seemed to take forever to get to the landing strip. When we got there, the pilot, who looked like a replica of Alan Ladd with a cigar in his mouth, told me that he had had the, the seaplane on the runway when a voice spoke to him and said, Turn the plane around. It will never make it back. So with that, he turned the plane around and picked up the, the land plane. After he said that, I climbed on board, looked out the window, and then I saw Shirley MacLaine's face. It was then that I heard my inner voice say, Oh, Shirley, Natalie's gone. It's now up to you to help the people on the planet. Well, where did that come from? I couldn't imagine why I would say such a thing. I hadn't even met Shirley yet, but something deep inside of me seemed to know. I did not know it then, but Warren Beatty, Shirley's brother, had been deeply in love with Natalie and was at that moment in deep sorrow and depression because of her untimely death. I was so relieved to arrive safely at Long Beach Airport. Thurman and I drove to LAX and flew directly to Las Vegas, where my best friend, Belva Bloomer, lived. She, as of this writing of this, wrote fan letters for Shirley up at Cripple Creek, Colorado. I knew in my heart that if I could get to my friend with her healing abilities, that we together could bust the kidney stones, and then I'd pass them. We made quite a team. She would hold the beam, and then I would shoot, and then try to pass them in the urine. And this went on for five or six days. I have never experienced so much pain. My nerves were raw. Natalie was dead. And where was my galactic female buddy? Gone. My personal world had collapsed, and I couldn't get a handle on what was really happening to me. Jeanette Browning, Shirley's secretary, asked me to come to her house to get well. I wasn't in a position to make many sound decisions, so I said yes. I stayed there from December 4th to the 16th. Jeanette had transiting Neptune on her natal sun, which kept her in the twilight zone most of the time. She couldn't turn around that she wasn't making some unwise decision, and looking back on those days, I felt kind of sorry for her. But later, I discovered that enemies come in many disguises. On one particular day, Thurman decided to show up and give me a gigantic healing with two giant crystals. Jeanette came home early to help. She had had several drinks and was sitting at my feet holding the point when the doorbell rang. It was flowers from the one she had been with in Catalina, the first lieutenant of the Prince of Darkness. She set them on the table downstairs, which was directly under my bed. There was an energy exchange set up, but I don't know to this day how to describe it with any clarity. But the energies coming from the crystals had aligned them with something that was killing me and not making me well. I knew it in the minute it happened, but I was too sick to know what to do. But I never will forget it. Never. I also realized that Thurman was playing the role of half-friend, half-villain. He should have been on top of the situation, but his ego got in the way and out of control, and he had absolutely no discernment. I knew that the energy trying to kill me also knew what my mission was to perform and simply did not want me to succeed. With naive Jeanette, and then Thurman play, playing acting his new role as God, I knew that I had to get out of there and fast. I wasn't thinking too else, but at least I knew that if I stayed that I might die. I know this sounds like I was filled with fear, but I was dealing with energies that were not of this world, and the test was too much to take because of my physical problem. 
Also around that time, I remember calling Chris Griscom. Thurman flew her there uh, to Las Vegas. She worked on me, and I remembered uh, her bringing some amethyst crystals and putting it in a glass of water, putting it in the sun, and all the purple left the amethyst. I drank the water, and somehow I was able to get my next uh, energy up to where I could literally drive out of Las Vegas. I had Thurman drive me to Flagstaff, Arizona, where we had another house. I had 104 temperature for several days, and during my fever, I saw other dimensions and had many unusual visions. I encountered a being that reminded me, well, of the Ayatollah Khomeini, and I think it was him because I actually saw him later when he did leave the planet. It was the same guy. And others that looked like his assistants. Dark star lords were beaming energy constantly at me. I couldn't believe it. During this period of time, I talked to Jeanette, who wanted me to talk to Cha-Cha. And he'd been with Shirley for two or three years, training her in metaphysical matters. She called him David in her Out of the Book um, series, which is really a composite of two or three others who came to help her. And at that time, Cha-Cha was living off of Shirley's charity. So he was quite protective of any new people who would come into her life. He was doing drugs, drinking quite heavily. He'd had experiences with extraterrestrial beings, and he just couldn't function with ordinary humans. He had been with a female cosmonaut. She activated into him a lot of advanced knowledge, made love with him, and it spoiled him so much that he could never be satisfied by an earth woman. He was a casualty of great spiritual indigestion. But now that I look back on it, I'm sure there was a runner, also from Ramsa, that was slowly but surely driving him away from Shirley and out of her life. Ramsa, well, this was his M.O. I told Cha-Cha that I had a screenplay to show him, hoping he would read it, and if he liked it, pass it on to Shirley. I had written a screenplay called It's Happened Again. The story of two souls out of body, they fall in love, then reincarnate back into body with the help from a spacecraft, a script that I heard from beginning to end in 45 minutes at Mount Charleston, Nevada, years before. In between training Thurman and Cosmic Laws and doing transmission, I developed the screenplay over a two-and-a-half-year period. I had a lot of help by celestial beings creating the screenplay, so I just assumed that everyone would welcome it with open arms. Boy, was I wrong about that. I was rejected from every corner of the film industry. So I felt it'd be proper to put it in Shirley's path in case she saw the potential of its birth on the screen. All this time, as Cha-Cha was reading the screenplay, I had dark star lords hovering over my bed. Was this some old past karmic debt playing out? Who were these energies trying to kill me? And if they kill me, then what? Then I didn't know or understand, but as the years passed with many more experiences and similar type of energies, I know that they were engaged by higher forces to test me, not to kill me. I knew I had a mission, and I knew that nothing, absolutely nothing, was going to stop me. And nothing has. Here we are today in 2017, and Lavendar is still going strong. And um, as I said earlier in the show, uh, it's her birthday tonight, so she's taking the night off. But we want to thank you for joining us, and we will be back with Lavendar next week. So um, obviously we're not having any questions tonight because Lavendar's not here, but we thank you so much for listening, and um, we will see you next week. And from all of us here at Starseed Radio Academy, thank you so much and have a wonderful week. And remember to count your blessings. This is the season of peace and goodwill. So hold the light and shine it bright. Good night, everyone. You've been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com.
amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.